You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, uh, good morning and welcome again to Grace Community Church. Um, Good that you're here today. If this is your first time, we extend you a very special welcome. I'd love to know who you are. So find me out there afterwards if it's your first time, you want to just get to know a little bit more about the church or us, we'd love to talk to you about it. There are lots of people around who could talk to you about it. A couple of things uh, to be praying for this week. Uh, our youth just fresh back from Cuba, or Cuba as the veterans say, uh, will be heading to TVR tomorrow. Uh, Alice and I are actually going to be in the mountains at the last part of the week. I know you must think we're out of our minds. Uh, the highs are going to be all the way up to 72, 3, something like that on Thursday and Friday. Lows in the 50s. So, uh, But the students are going to be going to TVR and having a great week. And there's a speaker. You better watch out for the speaker. It's a, it's a guy named Michael. Uh, Tally is his name. So... I hope you're going to enjoy that. David is also going to be speaking this week. Um, it's not going to be 72 and 3 where David is. He'll be in Red Springs, uh, North Carolina, south of Fayetteville, down toward Lumberton. And he'll be working with the same group that led our students in Cuba. So please be praying for David as well. Uh, Ted McKinney, this past week, I want to mention Ted. Man, he had a tough week having some dental work done hit something in there and was about to bleed out. They finally got him to Chapel Hill, got it stopped. Jim and I went up to see him the other night. His mouth, he looked like a baseball player for sure. I mean, a baseball player back in the day. So, uh, but uh, still got some work to do on that, but the tissue has to heal and just be uh, praying for Ted. And I was going to make a connection there, and I don't remember what it, oh, I was going to say, uh, none of the staff will be here at the latter part of the week, so don't anybody do that, okay? No dental work toward from Wednesday till, till Saturday, if you would. Um, also, one other thing I want to mention, Grace Matters, not this Wednesday night, but the following Wednesday night. We're going to be talking with some of the deacons and just some of the work, talking about the, the role that God has given deacons, a very important role in the body of Christ and You'll be hearing from some of the guys who are on our uh, deacon team, and they'll be sharing about the ways that the Lord is using them here and the ways that he could use you in serving alongside of them. So that's not this Wednesday night, but the following. You don't know what you're missing at these Grace Matters events. I'm not kidding. You don't know what you're missing. These are great times of conversation Oftentimes about, well, non-controversial topics such as women in ministry and race and stuff like that, race relations stuff. I know they're non-controversial, but they're deep. They are very controversial sometimes. Neil picks these topics and I'm like, what? <laughs> really? I preach that stuff when I come to it in the text. It's one of the benefits of going straight through the text. But this one is going to be a real blessing. So be here August 30, I mean July 31st. Is that correct? Is that the day? July 31st. 
Well, I want to begin this morning by telling you what you already know. Words have meaning. Some people are careless with their words, while others exercise great care and caution with their words. Would you say that our culture in our time, by and large, is careful with our words or careless? Well, that's just not even a... It's not even a redundant. I mean, we all know we're careless with our words, especially words that come out of our fingers, you know, like that. Sometimes what you do not say speaks as loudly as what you do say. For the last two weeks, we have examined Jesus' difficult words in John 6, 35 through 59. Words that created resentment and backlash from those who heard, and many of whom had been following Jesus for a long time, but determined that they could no longer agree with him, and thus they could no longer follow him and be associated with him. That feels a lot like today, doesn't it? We should note that Jesus never contradicted himself, And he never apologized for the claims that he made about himself. Today's message, while part three of the larger group of texts in John 6, 35 to 71, will focus on the last 13 verses of John 6. Today is almost all application in response to the truth that we've examined and believed Over these last two weeks. A little explanation of today's text. Though uh, verses 59 to 71 is needed. And so I'll do that. And give a little explanation. And then I'll offer five points of application. Uh, We'll begin our time by reading a small portion of the text. And it's our custom to stand as the word is read. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter 6 beginning with verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for this beautiful example of of how to live when it's difficult. When others are abandoning you in large numbers. Those of us who have heard and believed can find strength and encouragement. And the ways that Peter and the disciples responded in a difficult day. So Lord, open our hearts to the truth of this text. And may we be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Missy. Peter's confession of Jesus as the Holy One of God is remarkable when you consider the circumstances. The bread of life discourse took place 
mostly in the synagogue of the town that Jesus called home during his ministry, Capernaum. Now, the day before, Jesus had fed as many as 20,000 people uh, with uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. And now, the next day, the day had begun with all of these people trying to find Jesus. They caught up with him in Capernaum. And I have no idea how many that synagogue would hold, not nearly uh, all the people that were there, but a representative, some of the leaders of the people were in that synagogue listening to Jesus talk. And this dialogue had taken place, which was the style in the synagogues of the day. There would be mostly monologue by the leader, but then there would also be dialogue. It's kind of like Sunday morning and home group all in one place. So the day had begun with people eagerly seeking to find Jesus so that they could make him king of Israel. But after what we have read these last couple of weeks in John 6, where Jesus told them if they did not eat his flesh and drink his blood, then they had no spiritual life in them. Most of the people, disciples John called them, most of the disciples said to themselves, that's about all I can take. And they walked away. You should know that these disciples while followers of Jesus were not true disciples. We're going to learn in John 38, 31, that true disciples are those who abide or remain in Jesus' word. Even if they're alarmed at some of the things that Jesus says, even if they're taken aback with some of the things Jesus said, says, they do not walk away. They do not abandon him. They abide in his word. It's one thing to hear God's word. It's another thing to listen to it. You have children, right, who sometimes may hear a voice out there, but they're not listening to what you're saying. It's really more adults that, that sometimes don't listen you know, you can look at a child, a child can be all over the place, and you say, did you hear one thing I say? And they can rattle it off. You look at an adult, and they're looking right at you, you know, and they're going like this, and you say, did you hear what I said? I'm afraid I didn't. I'm sorry. Would you repeat that, please? Well, a lot of us are looking at the Word and doing this, but we're really not letting it grab hold of us. We're not listening at the levels that will change our lives that will take us from being hearers to doers. So the same Greek word is used both times in John 6, 60. It's just used in both ways. It's reflected in the English text. The Hebrew understanding of hearing God's word is to fully believe, fully embrace, and then to obey that word. That's why Jesus said over and over, he who has ears to hear, the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm talking to some of you, he said, and you know who you are. Except he said it in a good way. You know, usually that's said in a negative way, but Jesus said it positively. So those who debated with Jesus on the day they walked away for good had expressed frustration with his claim that he had descended from heaven. I mean, he's Joseph and Mary's boy, right? It's a local boy. It's a local... Local guy, he's from the, from the hometown. 
And he said, I descended from heaven. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? Now Jesus says, what if you were to see me ascend? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascend back to where he came from? Would that offend you? While we would assume at first glance that Jesus was speaking of his ascension back in the heaven that is recorded in Acts 1, many consider Jesus' crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension all one event. And so while we may not pick up on it, and while the people that, that, that were there on that day may not have picked up on it, Jesus was likely given a reference here to his suffering. The cross always brings offense to unbelievers. Now, the cross understood as Jesus paying for our sin. Some people look at the cross and say, what a wonderful thing he did, dying for injustice, dying for those that he loved. No, but when we understand that God was pouring out his wrath on his son, and he was taking the punishment that we deserved, and that by believing in him, we have life. When people understand it at that level, you hear crazy things like, what is this, celestial child abuse? That the father would make his son suffer for other people's sins? These are people who do not know God, who say things like that. These are the ones who thought it sounded good, but then they walked away. So now Jesus tells these followers that there is a reason they do not believe. Verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. There is a great deal of truth in this short verse. Now, if you think about it in verses 61 to 63, Jesus is following the same pattern that he has used earlier in the dialogue. In verses 41 and 42, when they're complaining, hey, this is Mary and Joseph's boy, and he says he came down from heaven. In verses 43 and 44, Jesus says, quit grumbling. You know why you don't believe what I'm telling you? My Father has not drawn you to me. Now, we're seeing the same pattern. Grumbling about doctrine is followed by Jesus saying, No wonder you don't believe. It is the Spirit who gives life. But you're trying to figure this out in your own heart and mind. You're trying to wrestle with these thoughts according to your own ability to reason and understand. But the flesh is utterly useless in seeking to understand God's plan. Look, if you understand what it means that Jesus died for you and that you're called to believe him, then believe it. Just believe it. Do you know what a privilege it is to understand? There are so many people that don't understand this. If you're saying, I still don't think I've got it figured out, please talk to me. Let one of our elders, deacons, home group leaders, one of the people, you, whoever it was that invited you to come, Ask them to help you understand this. Ask God for understanding. Say, Lord, please, with your Holy Spirit, help me to understand this. Because I realize that in my own thinking and reasoning and understanding, I cannot get it. 
Jesus' words are spiritual in nature. His words produce life, and there is no life apart from Jesus. Furthermore, you cannot claim to follow Jesus and only be interested in some of his words. Those who were listening to, to Jesus on that day would have recalled Deuteronomy 8.3 where Moses had said to the people, in the context of manna, by the way. Manna fed you, God fed you by manna, but you've got to understand this. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by Every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, Jesus is claiming in John 6 that his words are the very word, words of God. Even so, Jesus says in verse 64, Some of you believe because you've been drawn to me, although even some who are quite close to me do not believe. By the time we get to verse 65, we've been told several times that salvation is a work of God. And it is a gift that has been granted to us to believe in Jesus. Our works can never be good enough to earn salvation for us. Earlier in John 6, Jesus told us that the only work connected to salvation is indeed the work of God that causes us to believe. It initiates belief in our hearts, enabling us to trust in Jesus. We now know, we know now on this side of the cross that we sang about this morning, such powerful, beautiful words, that Jesus, trust in Jesus is related to his sacrifice at Calvary as payment for our sins. Jesus' words, though, were not the words that people wanted to hear. And they're not the words that people want to hear today. So it's not surprising that many are walking away from the one who claims to be the only way to eternal life. It's just too exclusive for many today when everyone needs to be included. Everyone except Well, you know, those who say there's only one way to heaven. When Jesus asked his disciples if they would also walk away, I doubt he did so with puppy dog eyes and a bottom lip quivering. You're not going to walk away too, are you? In fact, the grammar may indicate that Jesus was saying, you won't walk away because I know. I know whom I've chosen. And I know you're going to stick with me. And Peter's response was not as timid as we may think it was. He wasn't saying, well, we've made it this far, so I guess we'll uh, stick it out. I mean, I think Peter's confession was bold. As everybody was walking away, he knew that belief in Jesus' words was the way to eternal life. And he confessed that Jesus was the Holy One of God. Peter Speaking on behalf of the twelve in the face of mass defections from Jesus. Confessed that Jesus was the Messiah. The other eleven, no doubt, chimed in with support. But one of them was a devil. And would betray Jesus. Even though Jesus had brought him into the group. 
And so with that explanation, it's time to jump into the five, first of our five points, which is the priority of God's word over personal views or expectations about God. Jesus was not the Messiah that the people expected. He was not the Messiah that people wanted. They wanted a kingly figure, a military leader from a leading family of the Jews, not a peasant who preached love, compassion, and forgiveness. They wanted someone to tell them what to do, not what to believe, especially if those beliefs involved honoring Caesar and not following the actions of the Jewish leaders. They wanted someone who would meet all their material needs, not someone who preached loving your neighbor as yourself, especially if your neighbor was a foreigner, apart from the covenant family of God. Jesus was not, he just wasn't the Messiah they wanted. Since Adam and Eve first rebelled against God, we have desired to make God in our own image. Not acknowledging him as creator, redeemer, and Lord. Although there is a longing in all of us to be known and be loved by God. Augustine says it so well for all of us. It is, uh, thou hast formed us for thyself and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. We are restless hearts, aren't we? And the only satisfaction, the only lasting peace we will find is in Christ. But it is equally true that we are ever faced with the temptation to eat the forbidden fruit, thus making ourselves equal to God. Whose words are you heeding? Someone's words are shaping your thinking, and as you think, so you are. Perhaps it's a friend, or a teacher, or even a media personality in any kind of news, politics, entertainment, sports, whatever. It is the duty of disciples to heed and obey Jesus' words. And as Deuteronomy 8.3 told us, we are to believe the message of the entire Bible. We can't just pick and choose. I like this. I don't like that. When I lived in the mountains. Uh, our pastor was named Randy Parker. A man of uncanny wisdom. Um, he. I've told you. that I've told this story before. But many of you have not heard it. And it just speaks so well to. Uh, or it illustrates so well. The problem that many of us have. Except in the whole message of, of God. And his word. He was speaking with a woman about some issue. I don't know if it's a personal issue, cultural issue. And she said, well, I just think such and such. And he says, well, you know, the Bible says. And she said, yeah, I know, but I just think. And he said, the Bible says. And she was like, you know, my mom always just told me. And this went on four or five times. And finally, on about the fourth or fifth time that Randy said the Bible said. She said, I don't care what the. She stopped and caught herself. But that's the way it is with a lot of us, isn't it? I don't care what the Bible says. I just believe 
That's another way of saying that is, no, 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 that's not what the Bible means. You can't take it that way. You got to take it this way. And after this, John 6 says, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Second, let's consider the importance of thinking theologically. Years ago, I asked my friend Dave Brown, who's a musician. He's, in fact, the worship pastor at Wake Chapel in Fuquay. They've got a new pastor, Isaac Mooneyham. I love this guy so much. I'm so grateful that the Lord has brought him. Many wonderful gospel preaching pastors in our area that we need to be praying for. Um, but Dave is a musician and he loves music. He's just a few years older than I am, so we love a lot of the old stuff, you know. And I asked him, what kind of music do you like? And his response was instructive. He said, I like all genres of music as long as it's good music. I feel the same way about reading books. I mean, I enjoy a lot of different genres of literature so long as the writer is good at his or her craft. Sometimes I'll read a book and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll get to the end of this, but I'm not going to read this author anymore. I employ different styles for different types of writing. I mean, I can plow straight through a work of fiction, but a theological work requires extended time to read because of the cross-referencing and the reflection that is required. A history book may require several visits to Wikipedia, uh, that reliable source, you know, that of uh, information on the Internet. And some books serve simply as source material that I reference for a topic of interest or study. So I wonder how you treat the Bible. You know, one of the beautiful things about reading the scripture through every year, I, I really am tempted to do this. I won't, but I really want to ask you how many of you are reading through the Bible this year. I know a lot of you are. And I am so sorry to disappoint you in saying when you get to the end of the year, uh, you're not done. <laughs> do it every year. When you read through the Bible every year, use different methods, different translations, just go through every year, you start to develop a big picture understanding of Scripture. So how do you treat the Bible? Do you believe and seek to live according to the whole? Or do you pick and choose what you want to be true and reject the other as outdated because of the advances in civilization, as in both scientific and social advances. We just know so much better. No, you read scripture, we're just like people of, of that day. You think our society is debauched? Rome was worse. It was far worse than we are. People were far more progressive in their thoughts than we are today. Even we're, we're catching up in a hurry, but people are people <laughs> and, and to reject scripture as outdated is naive and uninformed. Think about what I just said. Some think that we have become smarter than God, knowing which of his words continue to be valid and which of his words must be discarded so that the message 
of Jesus will be palatable, palatable to the culture. It doesn't seem from John 6 that a palatable message was Jesus' goal. I don't think it was. It's like, are you with me? You still with me? I don't think so. One of the primary ways to avoid being guided more by culture than by the word is to think theologically as well as biblically. Now, we could spend many, many weeks on this. I'm just touching on the notion of theology. The moment we claim that the Bible, that a particular Bible verse has a meaning or a passage has a meaning, we become theologians. We stake our claim as theologians. We're making assumptions about God based on our understanding of Scripture. We're good theologians. We're bad theologians. Look, if you take every verse in Scripture literally and you don't fit it into the whole, then you're going to be all over the place in your understanding of God's Word. And then it becomes more and more convenient to make it what you want to say. When we begin to get a picture of the whole and see how it all fits together and the beauty of God's design over all history and over all peoples and how Jesus is at the center of everything, we will begin to put ourselves in position to avoid the pitfall that Ephesians 4 warns against that's being driven about by every wind of doctrine that begins to blow. So one of the benefits of thinking theologically is the development of a biblical worldview. I've said it often. A consistent, cogent, compelling biblical worldview may be the most effective witness you can have in our day. A day when people are not sure what they're supposed to believe Today, much less what they'll be required to believe tomorrow to keep one's place as an accepted member of whatever group is desirable on a given day. So think theologically. Three, let's think about the sacrifice required and the loneliness of the disciple. Can you imagine how shocked Jesus' disciples were when large numbers walked away from him? E even though the twelve were committed to following Jesus, no matter what, it must have been quite a blow to see 20,000 one day and the same excitement the next morning, but then as the day progresses, most of those just melt away and say, I can't do this any longer. That man is crazy. It happened in the course of a few hours of straight talk from the Savior. If you are looking for a life that is comfortable and agreeable, following Jesus is not for you. It is not going to be easy. If you're looking for peace and joy that makes no sense to the entire world. Now think about it. Peace that passes understanding. Joy in all circumstances. Not that you don't grieve. Not that you don't have sorrow. Not that your heart is not broken. 
but a deep abiding joy of the relationship of Jesus then following him is for you, but it's not going to be easy. There are some, some who, who, who still think that they can behave any way they want and imagine that they are in lockstep with Jesus. But most serious-minded believers know that there's a price to pay for the Christ-like life. And that life didn't demand as much sacrifice 10, 15 years ago as it, as it does today. There's a higher price to pay now than there was just 10 to 15 years ago for staying with Jesus when everybody else walks away or staying with the biblical Jesus when others create a Jesus to their own liking. If you openly embrace a biblical worldview that informs every area of your life, you're going to suffer. Now, perhaps you're not going to suffer physically, but you'll almost certainly suffer vocationally, relationally, socially, and in many other ways. The group that follows Jesus gets smaller and smaller as it nears the cross. But the shadow of the cross is the place that we're called to live as followers of Jesus. Even in the church, our sanctuary, though, we must be wary, which is the focus of the fourth point, danger in the church. There are a few things that are as appealing to the world as a group of believers who truly love and care for one another, or a group of people who love and care for one another. It was one of the reasons that I was so attracted to the hippies when I was in the 10th grade. You know, here was a group of people. I was kind of small. I made friends quickly, but I lost them just as quickly. And I, I, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. And here was a group of people that said, we'll accept you just as you are. And they did. As long as my hair was like theirs and I listened to the music they listened to and didn't listen to the music they didn't listen to. And I thought and walked and talked and dressed just like they did. As long as I did that, then I was accepted. Well... Some people might say that about the church, but and the church is, is in a bad way when we don't recognize that God has put Jews and Greeks, male and female, slave and free, that Jesus has broken down the walls that divide us. He's calling us to live together and love one another like nobody else in the world is able to do. And that's attractive to people. It's especially true, I would think, for those who live in fear that their next post on social media will invite ridicule from the very people they're trying to impress. No wonder Jesus said his disciples would be known by their love for one another. But unity in the body can never be taken for granted. Again, Jesus is the reason for our unity, breaking down all racial, socioeconomic, and cultural distinctions and defying all political sensibilities. 
We accept all who say yes to Jesus. But there are some who profess to know him who do not truly trust him. This was Judas' problem in the end. He didn't fully trust Jesus. He somehow thought that he was doing the nation of Israel a favor by betraying Jesus. We're going to learn in John 12 that there was more to it than that. Jesus, or Judas, was a thief. And he was the treasurer. So no wonder Judas was constantly wanting to take up benevolence offerings. He would have had one every Sunday in here. And he would have been the primary counter. And the, he was the guy putting his hand into the till. The New Testament gives many means for protecting the unity and purity of the church, including prayer, forgiveness, that's a big one, plurality of leadership, and church discipline. But almost all of us know of churches where one person or a small group of people cause great damage to gospel ministry. Sometimes it's a church leader, sometimes it's a church member who is not in leadership. Late in John 6, even as the disciples clung to Jesus for dear life, Jesus was concerned about the danger that lurked within the body. The wheat and the weeds are going to go, grow together until the end of the age. Scripture tells us that's the way it's going to be, and that's the way it's going to be. So let us be vigilant and pray for unity and purity in the body, and let us pray for strength in the day of testing, which leads us to the last point. Staying close to Jesus, no matter what. Don't you just love Peter's response? Look! Even if, you're, even if you know that Peter would drive you out of your ever-loving mind if you had been one of the 12 disciples, you have to just love his passion for the Lord. When Jesus said, are you going to leave me as well? Peter's like, no way. Where are we going to go? You have the words of life no matter how many people walk away. And frankly, no matter how confused we are about what just happened. We don't know what's going on here. And I don't understand it all, but I'm following you no matter what. You are the Holy One of God. It's not going to become easier to be a disciple of Jesus in these coming years. It's only one reason it is crucial that you know what you believe, and that you have the ability and the courage to articulate your beliefs when you're called to do so. And believe me, you are going to be called to give an account for what you believe. The truth of the gospel makes less and less sense to people in our world today in the same way it made less and less sense to people who were listening to Jesus talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. They're like, what? Really? 
They walked away. Whatever you do, stay close to Jesus. Listen to me. Either you're in or you're not. And if you're in, you don't have the option of walking away. Satan is going to pound you and do everything he can to cause you to walk away. Do everything you need to do to stay close to Jesus. Say yes to the things that keep you close to him, such as consciously trusting his promises and going to church and going to home group and standing with the truth of Scripture. Say no to a lazy acceptance of the most basic tenets of the gospel. And to identification with groups or organizations that hate the exclusivity of the gospel message. Or justify the wildest behavior for political gain. And yes, whatever side you're on, I'm talking about your side. We've all lost our minds. If we keep our heads about us, somebody's going to notice. By this shall all men know you're my disciples, which have love one for another. You're going to be told, in fact, you're being told every day that it takes courage to embrace Non-biblical ideas. Wrong. That's wrong. It takes courage to embrace a biblical worldview. Jesus said, the words that I speak are spirit and life. And we are forced to make a choice. Whether we believe Jesus' words are outdated and oppressive. Or if they are life-giving and lead to human flourishing. For many years we have been blessed with enough material possessions. That we tend to forget there is a battle of eternal consequence raging all around us. We're more aware of the conflict these days. And when you are close to Jesus, you are going to be close to the conflict. Even if everyone else walks away, may we be those who say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of Let's pray. You know, this is one of those texts that just calls for a high level of commitment. Kind of in that <laughs> negative way, are you going to walk away also? We need to respond with a very 
positive, I will follow you, Lord, anywhere. We also should acknowledge that we don't have the strength, the courage. Look, we haven't done this for years, probably won't do it for years to come. But maybe, and look, if nobody comes, that's quite all right. But maybe this morning, you just want to come to the front and kneel here at the altar and affirm your allegiance and just say to the Lord, I will follow you. Thank you for calling me into your family. You have the words of life. Holy one of Israel, holy one of God. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you have opened our eyes and our hearts to the truth of Scripture that points to the reality. You have an amazing plan for our lives. For those who believe, will one day know life as it could not be imagined in our wildest dreams. Lord, may we recognize the beauty of this life, even in transitions that Jeff prayed for this morning, and we all prayed along with him. Even when life is hard, even when loss is a big part of our immediate experience, may our hearts be committed to you. Lord Jesus, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. We have believed and we confess that you are the Holy One of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.